the sign of an old soul is having a broken heart. <clears throat> Every old soul who's had more than a few past lives at the end of Kali Yuga is born with a broken heart. And karma makes sure that the heart gets broken several more times in childhood so that it's thoroughly crushed by the time it reaches adulthood. The young souls are just born heartless and so they do not have to struggle in the same way. But they also cannot reach the same depth of feeling. Because it is anguish that is the engine of ascension. And so you will know how old you are as a soul by how much anguish you feel. And every old soul who is brought to Sat Yoga knows that they come here not because their ego brought them, but something greater than the ego. which cannot be considered a part of oneself. It is that which is not the ego self. It is that which the ego cannot understand and can only think of it so long as the ego paradigm remains as something mysterious, magical, inconceivable. The broken-hearted soul comes to a place like an ashram and hopes to heal that broken heart, but gradually discovers that it cannot be healed. The soul is terminally wounded. And it cannot hope to attain relationships of love that will heal its wounds, its agony of feeling the lack of ever being loved, adored, recognized, never having known real union or even compassionate containment. And it has to come very gradually to the deflationary recognition that it will never achieve its goals of wanting to be loved by another ego or by itself. And it will also come to realize 
sometimes with great agony, sometimes sadness, sometimes simply a kind of blankness, that the ego cannot even love God, cannot even believe in God. And that the ego as an instrument of thought is flawed, is inherently unable to get out of its egocentric orbit, its narcissism, its demand circuit. And it th cannot think clearly about the real. And because of its broken heart that must remain as repressed as possible, cannot feel authentically. And so feeling is replaced by affect. And the agony of the ego's loneliness is usually covered over with anger, negative projections, superiority complex alternating with inferiority. Anything but feel the truth of what is actually occurring within and without. And the ego mind does not want to come to the recognition that it is still tied to the lost object of childhood. It still wants what it knows is impossible to get. And because it won't give up on this, it won't accept the present. It won't accept what is offered. That's not satisfying enough. God is not satisfying to the ego. And because the ego's perspective, its frame of reference, is inherently that of an entity separate from God in a material world that has no meaning, it can never attain a sense of its own meaningfulness, its own goodness, its own purpose. And so its efforts to prove itself in some kind of a manic or hypomanic effort to achieve something worthy will always collapse into depression and despair at the futility of any effort bringing about what it really wanted from that effort, which was that unconditional adoration of the other that is not to be found. And so existence itself becomes a dreadful burden to the ego, just to get up in the morning, just to be conscious, just to be aware of its lack and of its sense of not belonging in the world. 
and of its inability to shed its ambivalence about everything, its inability ever to make a full commitment, because fragments of the mind are simply not able to rise out of the infantile desire not even to live, to return to a womb, to find an easy way out, to choose the lower death drive, to believe in the fantasies that things would be different if only somewhere else called one, if one could live in a different place with different people or had more money or a different job or a different this or that. And the ego will go on ruminating and fantasizing rather than being present because it cannot stand its presence. It cannot be comfortable in its own skin. And so it is in constant running away from itself mode, either running in a rajasic sense or a tamasic, dying into inertia, spacing out, creating symptoms that keep it from being conscious because they overwhelm the mind. And so it cannot deal realistically with its situation because there are too many infantile fragments that get in the way of realistic thought. And it doesn't even know what a realistic thought would be. It can't recognize it because it has never been in the real. And so the time spent in meditation for a yogi in this condition is a kind of purgatory in which it cannot physically run away. And it must sit and stew in its own brew of horror, of self-hatred, of sense of guilt and shame and failure and hatred and fury. And at the same time, its conscious witnessing of its own futility grows. And a sense of the emptiness of its life gradually bring it around to a recognition that there is some force maintaining one's consciousness and one's life that is not part of the ego. And although one cannot in that state recognize the presence of God, 
one recognizes the need to suicide the ego. One recognizes at some moment that one cannot live another moment inside the ego's monstrous mind. And without any guarantee or sense that there is a God that will contain and save one from depersonalization into some psychotic meltdown, a process of self-annihilation of the ego begins to get underway. And one begins to face what life would be if one were empty of the ego's thought patterns. And it is here that that quantum level of consciousness begins to make itself felt and known as the patterns of thought begin to be decollapsed. the signature thoughts of the ego, whether of fury or of shame or of some kind of withering away inside out of the sense of the lovelessness of the world and oneself. Or the having failed oneself in one's efforts to attain some kind of nobility or worthiness or transcendence. However, one has articulated it to oneself. It is the final and irrevocable recognition that the ego cannot take one any further on one's life journey and that to kill oneself physically would be only to forcibly have to come back and face it all again with an even worse situation because one at least knows that consciousness does not die and the ego's sanskaras, if they have not been completely melted away will bring one to a life in which those same situations recur but with more sense of defeat and of negativity in one's face. And the process of self-annihilation does not begin with any kind of celebratory, transcendental victory, but rather with the simple understanding the final realization that one has been in a state of misunderstanding one's whole life of who and what one is and what reality is about and what can be expected. And the reconciliation comes only after the recognition that the world will never bring satisfaction to the ego. 
and only its annihilation can bring peace. And as one consciously sits and annihilates the mind and its thinking process and enters into that silence from which there is no return, what had been felt as an emptiness that surrounded and encompassed one as the ego weakens and its own pulse begins to generate thoughts at more and more of a kind of silent gap that enters into the space of the mind between each thought. What had been perceived as emptiness gradually begins to be felt as a kind of fullness a kind of supporting ether that surrounds and saturates the mind. And as the ego's thought patterns and defense mechanisms finally fall away, that ether pervades. And that ether turns out to be love, a kind of love that the ego could never recognize. And it turns out to be the only kind of love that can heal the heart. And dying into that love is what brings bliss. Dying into the fullness of what had seemed to be non-existent emptiness turns out to be the very presence of the God that one could not recognize or believe in. And as the ambivalence of the ego's mind falls into silence, the presence of God fills the heart with its own force of will that has nothing to do with an individual attainment, but is simply the power of the real that takes over a heart that had died into its own nature and finally comes to realize that it had never known itself and that it had shut out its own being. It had shut out its own truth. It had shut out the very power of love because it thought that was the only way to survive. And once that value of survival of the ego's bastion of individual entityhood is finally surrendered, then the power of that eternal life that is not individual, but universal, cosmic, eternal, ineffable, brings the power of divine presence in which will and love and intelligence are finally united at a level in which the body functions now 
as the direct servant of God. And all of the ambivalence and all of the anger and all of the heartbreak is gone along with the ego itself. And the victory comes without anyone left to feel victorious or to celebrate. But the victory comes. And the victory is always God's. Because we are God's. And in that final surrender of the hubris of the ego, and its demand to be right about everything, we finally realize that the ego was the wrongness, was itself the sin, was itself the missing of the mark of its own being, was itself its own fall into a hell realm that it needed to discover in order to realize the value, the beauty, the goodness, the eternal love of God who saves us all when we are finally willing to fall into those arms of unconditional love that are there for us when the ego can go no further and has reached its end. The world is now at ego's end. And those who have gone through that ending into a new beginning that is egoless can provide the energy field in which trust and safety can be felt so that one can have the courage to go through that same death, that same dying unto God, that alone will bring salvation and the cessation of all suffering. May we all be blessed with a quick ending of the ego's agony and the new beginning of a life of godliness in which suffering is unknown and in which the mind is finally and forever silenced and the heart, the divine heart, can begin to speak.